This is something that I pretty much always wanted to do. I was a young kid and I saw the movie Casablanca and I decided I wanted to be Rick. As the torciadores quietly rolled their cigars and the despalilladoras stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves, they were entertained, informed, and inspired by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast, stories and cigars from the exiled South. Welcome to the Elector Podcast. This is Marcos, and I'm here with Victor and Mark. Matt couldn't be with us tonight. Um, we haven't recorded in a while, guys. It's been yeah. a bit. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. So it's good to be together to do this. We have a really uh, cool interview tonight, an exclusive, actually. Exclusive interview. We'll get into that in a <laughs> little bit. Eat your heart out, New Times. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight we're going to, well, might as well introduce them then. So we're, we're, we're speaking tonight with the legendary uh, club owner, club founder, George Miliang. Now, George is the founder of Miami's first teen club, correct? Miami's first, no, there was a teen club before, which was the Forest. the Forest. Okay. But this was the real first nightclub for teenagers. Nightclub for teenagers. Yeah. Welcome, George. Thank you. And 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 here also with us uh, to to uh, kind of uh, uh, fill in some information is his lifelong friend. Uh, fill in with some, like, like you said, with some color and, and, and in case you, you, you slip on some stuff. Uh, Jack Torano, who's actually been on our podcast before. I have. Yeah. I have. Thanks Welcome for, back, thanks Jack. Thanks for inviting me. A lot of fun. Good to have you, man. Thank you. So we're here in our undisclosed location in Miami, and we're actually smoking tonight um, uh, some cigars that Jack brought us. Uh, these are Espinosa cigars. Uh, and Jack, it just so happens that you are working with Espinosa, correct? I am. Okay. Get, get, get him the uh, the mic there so he can. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, so speak, so speak a little louder, there, Jack. So Jack, tell us about Epinosa. So the the last time we did the the Elector, and it was the Tarano days that yeah. we were doing it with Tarano cigars, and then I went on to work for a couple other companies, and in January I uh, started with uh, Eric Espinosa, Espinosa cigars. Okay, excellent. So I've almost gone. I almost went to work with him three or four times in the last five years. It just everything fell into place. I was out of work. <laughs> <laughs> he needed a national sales director. It was uh, it was perfect. The timing was perfect. Yeah. So what, well, how how long has uh, has Espinosa cigars been around? Eric's been around for about twenty five years. Uh, he was one of the first reps, brokers. I mean, he's he's run the gamut of stuff that that he's done in the industry. And about ten years ago, he took on his own brand. He started with six hundred one with the six hundred one brand. Okay. And I'm then started growing from there. And. Uh, and he's got, you know, we're we're looking at another possible top twenty-five in cigar aficionado this year because we got a ninety-three rating with a Havano. Excellent. And if that's if that happens, that's four in ten years for him. Wow. Uh, for a company that doesn't advertise in cigar aficionado, that's pretty much unheard of. So that's, that's amazing. You know, 
Well, what am I smoking here? The Crema, the Connecticut, one of my favorites. Connecticut shade. And then everybody else, I think, is smoking the uh, the Laranja, which was number 13 in 2016 in Cigar Aficionado. That was mm. one of the other ones. So the Laranja, when I first saw it, I had to do a double take because I thought it was the Por La Arañaga. Por La Arañaga. And I was yeah. like, no, that can't be. The, somebody's actually, because that was one of the uh, the old school Cuban yeah. uh, labels. So it, it Laranja features Brazilian tobacco. So he went with the Laranja theme, which is, and that, that wrapper is not used a lot in our industry. As a matter of fact, I couldn't even tell you if another cigar uses it. It's this Brazilian Habano wrapper that has like an orange tint to it. So oh. Laranja is orange in Portuguese. Wow. So oh. then this year we just released the Laranja Escuro, hmm. uh, which is a Brazilian Matafina wrapper. Same blend, but with a different wrapper. Cool. And that, that one's already gotten a 92 rating. So, Well, we're looking forward to uh, having you and, and Eric on the show That'd be in, great. A, in a f- yeah. future episode so we can hear a little bit more about the Espinosa story. Um, so tonight it's all about George. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, George, tonight we're here to uh, to talk about this uh, this uh, kind of a, a, a now a legendary place, it seems, right? It's, it seems to be becoming more legendary in the last couple of months uh, yeah, than yeah. it has for a while. But, yeah, there seems uh, to be a really... Resurgence and interest in uh, in the B Club. Yes, and we're and talking about the first nightclub, right? The first teen it, nightclub. It's in first Miami. teen nightclub. Uh, the yeah. the um, Forest was a disco with the DJ, a very good DJ, Robert Neroni, a friend of mine. Um, but the B Club was, you know, the Forest was Hialeah, right? The Forest was in Hialeah. Yeah, so, so technically the first one in Miami. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we're the first ones in Miami, <laughs> and we're actually the first ones in Wichita, <laughs> which is uh, you know people always see why Wichita. I wouldn't have thought of doing it anywhere else. I yeah. mean, it was just a great corner. It was a great uh, space. We had about 5,000 feet. It was uh, at it was a a uh, shopping center where at nighttime we had all the parking for us. In fact, I used that th- uh, th- little thing to be able to open up other clubs that that we right. because of the fact that you always want to have parking. Parking is very very important. Are you allowed to say the exact location? Yes, 98th <laughs> Avenue and Bird Road. Right, right oh next God. to Bird Bowl. Yeah, it was right there. I went there. to school right by there. Okay, yeah, that's great. Well, there you go. And okay. I, so did I. I was down. To, I lived down the yeah. street from there. Yeah. So neither, George, neither of you went to the beat club. No. <laughs> well, he wasn't even around. You were. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be like a club for like I think seven year olds for you know gone oh, there. Maybe. What year were you? That was Thursday. Night. I was born Thursday in Thursday nights. We allowed seven year olds. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was born in eighty two. Oh, so okay. you were a year old. Oh my God. When this club this opened was, up. This oh. was 84, yeah. 84, I wasn't. I was. I wasn't that cool, guys. So George, what was the inspiration? What 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 got what gave the idea of opening up the B Club? Well, certain uh, certain circumstances that were coming out. One of them was the fact that the uh, the federal law on drinking was changing, and by 1984, the drinking age had to be 21. So we had, you know, it's, it was actually 82 when we opened up, like during the school year and then into 83 and 84. And uh, so we figured we were going to have three years. They, what they were doing, they was escalating it. In 82, it was going to be the 19-year-old and up can drink. And uh, 83 would be 20. And then by the time they got to 84, it would be 21 and older. So we knew we were going to have three years of a larger uh, constituency. People that wanted to go dancing that weren't going to be able to 
uh, go to a liquor club. Hmm. So the idea was it was to make a place that would be exciting enough to turn people on that, that were of that age. In other words, uh, I think you know the other teen clubs and at the time they had uh, bowling alleys and skating rinks and they were all kind of geared to the really really young kids. We try we always tried to, to to model ourselves as more the 17, 18, and 19 year olds. How old were you back then? I was 24. This? Okay. Yeah. So you got together with some of your, your I had a, high I had a, buddies. I had a I had a yeah mostly. A, a lot of guys from Loyola, which is the high school that we went to that was also in Westchester. Uh, I had a partner, um, Joe uh, Perez, and uh, Carlos Menendez and I were basically the ones that started the club. Joe was more management. He had a strong background in that, so he would make sure that everything was where it needed to be at the time that it needed to be there. Uh, Carlos was uh, a lot of the music, and me, I was the promoter. It was basically, wow. you know, my idea, but the three of us had a lot of input on it. And what was Jack doing around there? Just everything. 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 Jack, er, every, everybody did everything. I remember at the time. that opening weekend. I was working the door. Wow. Well, yeah. Jack did the law of the door. Jack, yeah, Jack was yeah, very yeah. good at door because he's extremely large. Large. <laughs> and uh, he was a little less large back then. But. No, but, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, he's always been a tough guy too. So he, he was very intimidating. He kept and, everybody and, in order. He kept yeah. people in order. We ha we ran a very very tight ship there. Yeah. I mean we basically never had anything that was too crazy inside happen as far as, uh, you know, we had a real good security system. Uh, actually, the security system was uh, ball players from FIU's baseball team. Mm. I had uh, Orlando Casanova, <laughs> who yeah. was the coach, and he would bring over five, six, seven guys, whatever we needed for that night, and they wow. were like big, with, gigantic. With their baseball uh, bats? No, they didn't have the baseball. It wasn't the Warriors. <laughs> they didn't have the baseball <laughs> But the funny thing is that they were almost all American, and and it was like a big culture shock because we were like 99% Hispanic pretty yeah. much. I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's, again, it's Westchester. But it was also the, the people that were going out at the time. It was the, most of the club goers. Yeah. So it was, uh, but it was, they, they, they ran, uh, we ran a tight ship there to make sure everything went smoothly. Uh, we had a club that basically had a capacity of about seven, 800 people. Wow. Right. So, and we had lines around the block from the get-go. So it was, uh, it, it was good. So most of your, most of the, the kids who went there were kids from from the surrounding neighborhood, I imagine. There right? were kids from the surrounding neighborhood, uh, mostly in the beginning, but the club metamorphosed a lot. And we wound up changing a lot because you have to change in the nightclub business. You can't just have one thing. So there was times when we were going on Fridays, we had the, um, the hip-hop night, which was rapid music. Mm -hmm. There wasn't even a term hip-hop at the time. Yeah, we need to talk about hip-hop mm -hmm. because that, that's, that's an important part of this. Because it, when, when I go back and I start thinking about the fact that you guys were the first ones to bring Run DMC. Pioneer. I, I, I tell my son that he cracks about that, but then yeah. you know, he found out that <coughs> actually it was in print right <laughs> that, 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 that we did do that so yes. to give context to, to our listeners uh, uh, so we, you know I because I grew up in the neighborhood where the B club was and you and I spoke I, I, I was 13 when you opened it mm -hmm. I never got to go why not 
because I was a church kid, oh, okay. and and uh, and I just you know that wasn't on on the schedule of things to do. All Friday right. nights we was all church, had church kids. Saturday we had church kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did, M- Marcos. I think you were just a loser. <laughs> uh, that too. That too. That was also one of the reasons why. Uh, there were two. I'll, I'll that tell was you the, other one. the the funny thing about hip hop night was, I mean, they brought in Muhammad Moretta, the mm-hmm. DJ, to run this hip hop night on Fridays. I remember the first Friday, there were like eight dudes spinning on their backs. Yeah. And we were all looking at each other going, this isn't good. <laughs> this well, isn't well, good. And then it exploded. Well, I've ri- but that first I, yeah. night was scary. It was I, just I, a Riviera, bunch of people spinning. So, so when, I, when the B-Club is open, I'm in Riviera Middle School down the street. Mm-hmm. And in Riviera, there, there, were, there were these guys that were, that were, were, were legit breakdancers that did like music videos and commercials and stuff like that. And they would do, they would get called the clubs to 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 you know dance basically right. and uh, and these were kids that were my age and i was like how, how do they how do their parents let them go why and i'm just kidding <laughs> i was saying i was saying these kids are ama- they were amazing at what they did and they'd bring the cardboard out in the in the middle of the spill out area at riviera and they'd do their thing and it was it was really interesting I, to I gotta see tell you, we just did george was out of town but we had a b club reunion and those guys are now in their 50s and they were there spinning. Really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Did they get up? Oh yeah, yeah. They're mm-hmm. still a lot Man. better shape so, than I'm in. <laughs> so in '83, uh, rap is uh, hip hop is just becoming a thing, and it's actually like you said, you're right. It was just being named hip hop. Yeah. Like, it, it, or at it, least that was. It was hip hop by the time we we yes. The name was becoming mainstream and a little more known, and then but Miami was developing its own sound. So we had, back then, we had, uh, you know, at Southwest Miami High School down the street, which is the high school I went to, Mm -hmm. by that time, I think, if not a little bit, like with 83, 85, yeah, no, they already had a Cuban parking lot. They had a Cuban parking lot and an American parking lot because they were they were set they were segregated Something sounds by the really kids. Wrong about that. <laughs> they were segregated by the kids, but it was segregated by music. It had nothing to do with with any animosity necessarily. Right. It was more about no, the 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 Americans as we called them. They they liked the to rockers. have the uh, the rockers. They wanted their they wanted to listen to their Van Halen and stuff in their parking lot, and we listened to all this stuff that was coming out of Miami in the Cuban parking lot. Mm-hmm. So, eighty three. I'm in middle school. And you get like expose. Tell us about that. Tell us about how because this was just starting, right? The, the expose was a really, really interesting uh, group that came to the club. Um, I had spoken to Louis Martinet. He was the producer. Uh, we had talked about doing stuff for a while. Uh, I started a record label at the time, and he was trying to sell me acts. Uh, gave me a listen to a cassette that he had, and it was in a parking lot in the, the B Club. And he, uh, it was expose, and it was it's probably point of no return. Cause I think yeah. that was their first hit. Yeah, that was it. And it was phenomenal. And then he quickly said, "No, no, that's not the band." And he starts fast forward. And I go, wait, wait, wait. That's that's. I like that one. No, no, no. Let me show you this other one. Uh, the other one wasn't as good. So, you know, we talked a lot about it. We wound up not doing anything as far as record label, but I made him promise me that he would have Expose perform for the very first time. The very first show was at the B Club, and uh, it was terrific. They were a very, very polished uh, show. Yeah. A big draw, and they were very, very important 
factor of the freestyle music, which is what pretty much came to be at the time the Miami Sound. In fact, it was so prominent in Miami that it was called the Miami Freestyle. And yeah. Freestyle everywhere else in the country. It wasn't New York Freestyle, Los Angeles Freestyle, but it was the Miami Freestyle. Did Los Angeles have freestyle? Though? They had freestyle. Chicago had freestyle. Chicago uh, had a house. Yeah. Mm. They had. They had. And and New York. Uh, but I think the biggest the 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 biggest. Uh, uh, the, where it was more prominent was in New York and Miami, for New sure. New York and Miami, and yeah. you have a lot of people, obviously, uh, transplants going back and forth. So we we, we brought a lot of, of, of acts from New York. Most of the acts were a lot of them from New York. Uh, we brought a lot of ideas. We used to fly up to New York to see clubs there, and and then mm. we'd take the concepts that we saw, and then we'd Miami-fy them. Because you can't take necessarily something from New York and put it in Miami. It won't work. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we have to kind of, you know, we have to take into consideration that it's a Latin crowd. We have to take into consideration that there's other stuff going on and factors, and we got really good about doing that. And many times in the club, we'd wind up changing everything because we were catching a trend that was coming in. And right. uh, the freestyle was definitely one that was happening. So what was uh, how did you Miamify it, as you said? Well, f the freestyle, the freestyle, it, it, by definition, was kind of a music that uh, it, it, it was a European electronic music, and mm -hmm. it was then incorporated with percussion. And you'd have the so a lot of synth pop. You'd have the with the synth, and then you'd have the boom, the heavy boom, beat, the heavy beat, yeah. and then you'd have percussions. Yeah, and a lot of the percussion was the Miami sound. Yeah, you know, so you'd see these guys performing, and they were they were playing like sonic drums, but they were playing as if they were timbales. Yeah, yeah, you know, so you can tell that the roots came from <coughs> a lot of the Latin music. Yeah, and a lot of the artists. Uh, were either African American or Latin, right? That that were yeah, involved. Dominican, Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was a it was it fit perfectly for the club, right? It fit perfectly for the club, right? So so you you have um, so then you get now we'll go back to Run DMC really quick. So Run DMC comes down now. I know King of Rock was was kind of their breakout album, right? But. It, but it was they, they still hadn't gone mainstream at the time because well, if you wanted to hear Run DMC, you had to listen to them. You had to watch a video on t on MTV or well, Night Flight or something like actually, that. Actually, no. What they, they was they weren't being played on the radio a lot. George, Maybe, George, I watched a lot of TV. No, no, they no. They weren't being played on the radio because I, I had to watch them on TV. Yeah, but they weren't <laughs> being played at on um, MTV either either until they crossed over and played with uh, Aerosmith. Aerosmith. That's true. So. So yeah. Night Flight was a uh, Night Flight was a, another show right. that I would watch, <laughs> and that's where you would see all the. Okay, all I never saw that show. I'm not familiar. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was on Friday nights. Yeah. Well, I was yeah, busy we on Friday yeah, nights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had a life. I was, <laughs> I, I was a child, so yeah. and it was a it was a very busy one. <laughs> so where I, I would that's the only place that you could watch right. it. Sometimes you could get some even back then W E D R. They would uh, play it. They would play yeah. some of it, but 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 uh, Run DMC was kind of like because they had the guitars and all that. It was a yeah. different sound. Absolutely. Um, so you bring them down. What what kind of uh, did you get? Did you draw a big crowd when they came down? It was packed. We had about yeah. 300 people just for the sound check. Wow. When they heard that they were coming, that was that was, that was huge. But backing up a little bit, uh, we had decided to start investing our Friday nights into the rapping music, and we had Mohammed Moretta, and he brought people in. And and we saw that there was promise in it, but we also knew that we had to supercharge it a little bit. Yeah. So what we did was we started booking national recording artists 
that had not been to Miami. Yeah. And that worked out very well because I would go to Queens, Hollis is where these guys are from, uh, Run DMC, L Cool J, yeah. and uh, you know, in the middle of February, hey, you want to come to sunny Florida? And it, it was it was so an easy sell. We'd fly up there to get We'd them. We'd fly up not to get them necessarily, <laughs> but to get ideas. Yeah. And we wanted to see what was happening, so we'd go to hip hop clubs, or we'd go to when we started doing a new wave, we went to CBGBs and got a lot of ideas wow. as far as that. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so basically, what was happening is we wound up. Um, setting up the club so that on Friday nights it was hip hop, on Saturday it was dance music, which is what really brought the beat club to the beat club. That, 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 that's what, what made it famous. And then on Sundays we started doing new music, which took off really well too, considering it was a school night. You know, the next day you had school. Uh, we had alternative alternative rock. Alternative Sundays. Mm-hmm. Well, alternative Sundays, yeah. Was it called Alternative Sunday or New I, Wave Sunday? New Music, New Wave. It might, might have been, been Alternative. Like new, wave. new Wave, yeah. 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 They were just labels, but I people knew go, what they I used to go with Carlos a lot to the New Wave Lounge in Fort Lauderdale. Right. So that was the ideas that yeah. he had for that That's what the that. name was for all, anything that sounded Britishy. The interesting <laughs> thing is that in the nightclub business, and I spent about 12 years in the nightclub business, uh, one of the things that people would always t- say about the nightclubs is that you can't be all things to all people. Yeah. Uh, the beat club kind of broke that mold. It kind of was. It was, you know, one night we had the, the hip-hop music, the second night we had the dance, and then the third night we had the rock music, and we always had live entertainment or track artists uh, performing and all these. Uh, Run DMC is a live act. You had uh, Jam Master J playing the records, the, the cuts, and then the two guys doing the... Uh, Daryl and, and Run doing the uh, the rapping, and it was phenomenal. It was a great show. It was yeah. a very very polished show. Every time we brought him, we brought him several times. It worked out very very well. And I don't know. I mean, did it just if do you know if it, if they ever came down again uh, anywhere else, anywhere else in South Florida? I mean, I, I think I, they went from the B Club to like Madison Square Garden or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they yeah, really yeah. they there really took no off. Because that was within, yeah. you said it was within a week of, of their album coming out that you brought them down? The, that was of that the King of Rock album. They yeah, actually had Sucker MCs and they had a couple of albums before that and they were popular, but they were underground popular. Underground popular. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't something that was, but then a lot of times, we had a lot of radio spots that we would play. Uh, it wasn't like now where you have, um, you're able to go online or in the internet and social media. I, I can run 10 clubs right now doing that. <laughs> we actually had to do it all with radio ads and and much more important than that were the flyers yeah we had teenagers in almost every school passing out flyers putting them on the bulletin boards and that would just tell everybody what was going on yeah so it was uh but you know when we started bringing that the the, the, the the talent like run dmc and ll cool j those were talent that we had to bring in exclusively for our club Wait, so it, they it, didn't play anywhere else you brought ll cool j down? oh yeah ll cool j was there what the, are you serious yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of my favorite shows was Lisa Lisa. Wait a minute, that no, was a great great jam. nobody Cult nobody jam mentioned LL Cool J to me. Yeah, yeah. LL cool that's J. that's as big as Run DMC uh, back then. That's uh, up there, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was. So LL Cool J played uh, uh, at the Beat Club on Bird Road down the street from Sedano's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the same shopping center as Sedano's. Yeah, exactly. The same when, shopping when, center. When uh, when Run DMC would. I mean, that day of Run DMC, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they were lined up all the way to Sedano's. 
already, all the way around the corner. It was That's crazy. insane. Crazy. Yeah. So you also had... I, um, I think that was what you are saying for the sound check. That was for the sound... That sound check filled up. People found, started finding out that they were coming. Uh, you know, there's just lines around the block. And uh, we had that a lot for a lot of artists. But they, with that artist particularly, there was a lot of excitement. Because it was the first time that I know that they were performing... And they were performing for teenagers. I mean, it wasn't a liquor club that got them. We got them, and we got them exclusively. I don't know if this is true, or if, if uh, maybe I misheard misheard it back then. But <clears throat> when I was when back then, thirteen to fifteen, you brought down. Did you not bring down the the? Uh, I forgot the name of the, the the rappers. I don't know if it was UTFO or something. UTFO was there. You brought them down. Okay. UTFO. So UTFO was they were mainstream rap. They they were actually they actually made it to 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 because their, their song was kind of quirky. Roxanne. 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 Roxanne yeah. And and uh, and so you guys had them down, and I, and that was one of the ones that stuck out to me, because I because honestly back then Run DMC they were more popular than Run DMC, because they had broken out with this catchy song. Right. You know? It was like some rap songs made it. Um, you had uh, Double Dutch Bus, which which made it like an international hit Frank back Smith. then. Yeah, and then you had um, uh, you had your mama. I don't know if you remember your mama. That was a big one because but they were like funny songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. mainstream accepted rappers delight. They accepted rap if it was funny and quirky. Well, at the time, yeah. at the time, yeah, the, yeah that that they, it wasn't. It, it eventually became a lot of different forms. But yeah. back then, we again we spent a lot of time in New York trying to uh, talk to people and get ideas of what was going on. And I had gone and spoken to a gentleman by the name of Artie Fletcher, who was one of the. Um, of Melly Mel's people from the Furious yeah. Five. Yeah. And I remember trying to convince him again, as I always did, hey, come down to Miami. They're kids. These are the record buyers. A lot of companies really like the fact that, I mean, teenagers were the people that were buying most of the records. Yeah. And the adult clubs, when you're already 25, I use the adult clubs basically as a club ass liquor. In it. I know now it has a different connotation. In but case you have young listeners that yes. don't know what buying records means. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. that's a whole other. <laughs> but well, I remember. You know, you know the. I don't know if he remembers the B Club. So the B Club was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, this this place sat with nothing going on other than us sitting around the office all week. Wow. Doing nothing. So we opened the record store in the lobby. Yeah. yeah. We were selling CDs before anybody <clears throat> else was selling CDs. I started, we went to a distributor and I took like my favorite 40 albums and we were getting CDs for like 10 bucks a piece because they were at the time they were like 20 bucks. The CDs were the thing that was never going to go away. You were giving Ricky's records a run we for We were giving money. Ricky's records a run for the money. <laughs> oh, besides that, we were also spending a lot of time planning on what we were going to be doing for the weekend. How so many acts that, would that you bring down really, in like, a week? Oh, in a week, we always had a different artist on Friday, Saturday, and on Sunday. There were always right. different artists. And uh, on Sundays, we'd have like three acts because they were local uh, new wave bands that were playing here. Yeah. Uh, and that's a whole other you know scene that we can talk about. But um, Did Marilyn Manson ever play? No. Uh, the closest we ever got to Marilyn Manson was John Tovar, who was his manager. Yeah. He'd hang out at the club a lot, too. And he was very instrumental on Sundays. We had a lot of really good people that helped us out. We had a lot yeah, of... Sundays became the local <coughs> bands. So yeah. A lot of local bands got their start there. Yeah. It, From it, Nuclear Valdez to Perfect Strangers to Forget the Name Erotic Exotic. Erotic Exotic. They all got their start there. They got their start at yeah. the beat club. Yeah. Erotic Exotic got their start at the beat club. And, and, and then, <coughs> what was it? I mean, they never played the beat club, but the Tomboys 
later on, Raul Malo was the leader of the Tomboys. He yeah. went on to become the Mavericks. <laughs> yeah. But he never played there because they were like a rock cover band. <laughs> Raul Malo's a, well, a country, country singer, there, too. And then he went yeah. to country. Yeah, they went to country. They went to country. But, um, oh, yeah, they were the Miami band. band. They were the interesting thing is that a lot of these, these kids were coming in, and, and they were young, and they were talented, but they had nowhere to play. So we set them up with a place where they can play. A lot of times they would rehearse. Yeah, a lot of the local Erotic Exotic was wound up getting together at the beat club because it was members from two different bands that were playing at the beat club that wound up <laughs> collaborating into that project. And a lot of these guys wound up getting signed to uh, to major labels. The Secret Society went to Polygram, Erotic Exotic to Atlantic. I mean, they came out of the beat club a really polished band. But you get polished by performing, and there just wasn't a whole lot of places <coughs> for them to perform. The beat club was was kind of like the place. Yeah. And <coughs> we liked it a lot. So... <coughs> Um, was there a specific moment where you guys realized you had done something uh, just special? What, what, you know, or was it a slow build? Was it a meteoric rise? Opening night. Yeah? Opening night. I had a little party. I had family came over. Friends came over. And all of a sudden, when we went to the door, it was just this huge line. And I said, well, this, we're hitting onto something good here. So from the get-go, you guys were just from at the, capacity. From the get-go, we did really, really well. What happens... After the, the eight guys spinning night. Well, well, that was Friday. That was Friday. <laughs> that was later on. Yeah, and that okay. came about because what we, we the reason we made a lot of the changes that we made were because some things wouldn't work, and we'd trash it really fast and go for something different. So when Saturdays were super strong... And then Fridays weren't. We decided we're going to go with the Yeah, the was only open Friday and Saturday, and it was the same night, basically back to back nights, the same night. So you'd be so splitting the, kids were, the crowd. The kids were, yeah, the kids were, weren't even splitting it. They, you know, all these kids know each other. When are you going? You go. Everybody would go Saturday night. So then Fridays were dead. What are you doing Friday? Okay. So we got we got involved with the with the hip hop. Uh, it was an entire culture thing. It's not just the fact that we had the big bands. We had the uh, the top acts. We had uh, dancers. We had dance contests. We had um, at one point we started take we started the club up very Miami Vice with pink and walls and we took that down real fast and went <laughs> completely black, which yeah. is what we were talking about. You know, Jack was you know, we were all painting. We all did our yeah, own there work. Yeah, there was a, but everything was black and then this local artist I think his name was Laz or something Laz came in and painted murals everywhere. Great artist. We have a picture of that too. And then too. we painted really over. <laughs> well, but not, but not immediately Not after. immediately, a couple years later. <laughs> no, well, no, 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 just real nice murals. He was yeah, really, really good ones. Really and, nice. and, then, and then after uh, the black period, we wound up, as we were going with the hip-hop, we wound up doing graffiti on one of the walls and doing a lot of stuff like that. So we were constantly changing because you had to. Teenagers need to be uh, they need to be excited. You can't just give them the same thing over and over again. So we had to constantly be changing into, into different clubs, and we would do that rather quickly. So the hip-hop became an entire scene. And again, it wasn't termed hip-hop at the time, but um, Anyway, back to what I was saying as far as talking to Fletcher, I was trying to convince him and, and the group to come down for low bucks in the middle of the winter and get away from the cold. And one of the things that I remember saying is, look, this is a phase, guys. This is something that's got to pass. You guys got to strike while the iron's hot. And he told me, he goes, hip-hop's going to be here 20, 30, 40 years from now. And we're here talking 35 years later, and it's changed into a we lot of different things. We actually didn't think it would. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> we were I, like, I, okay, whatever yeah, you say. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that one. But uh, we did spend a lot of money to promote it and, and be the club that would do it. 
Um, it was challenging because you're bringing acts in and you're the only club that's that they're playing for. That you know, you're, you're putting them up in a hotel, then you're sending them back on the airplane. What wound up happening is we wound up getting together with some other clubs and we formed a little consortium where we started buying entertainment together, and that worked yeah, out would be very well. Yeah, a liquor well. club. So what would so happen? They play for teens and then they play for the adults. The act would come into our club and play around 11 o'clock. And then they would be limoed over to Casanova's in Hialeah. It's not our competition. I didn't have a problem with that. And they'd play there at 1. Well, at 3, they would play at the Copa, which was a gay bar, gay club. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not competition. So the three clubs got together and would sp- split the hotels, the airfares. It wound up working out a lot better. So we wound up doing a lot of our booking in that direction. But when you're bringing acts like Run DMC and, and UTFO, their clubs couldn't take that, so we would have to basically subsidize. Another thing that we did was we would fly in a DJ, uh, DJ Wiz, uh, which I saw you have one of his albums. Wiz Kid. The Wiz Kid, and fly him in once a month to, 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 to spin records. And he was doing the scratching and he was doing all the stuff that at that time was prevalent in um, in the rapping music. So that was, he was with Tommy Boy Records. Right. So you, did you do did you this deal with This is before Tommy Boy. This is before yeah. Tommy oh, yeah, Boy. No, no, no. We we have we got him signed our club and we had him playing there before he So was it before he did up. play the beat Mr. DJ? Yes, although we did hear stuff like that coming yeah. out. He was already working on it. Because yeah. that, that's what am I, 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 I confessed the other day to a group of, of folks, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 50 next year, and I confess the other day, I am a diehard hip-hop fan, cause, but the old school stuff, because I grew up listening to it. And, and that's, that vinyl that I have there, every, like, every two months I'll throw it on, I'll, I'll just listen to it on vinyl, because it just sounds that's beautiful. better. beautiful, yeah, it does And better. that song is, 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 is such a great song, and it's, 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 it's like listening to hip-hop right. history, you know? Yeah. Is that your rebellious church boy days? Is that what that That's was? That's right. <laughs> I still have my old Air Jordans did, that I would wear in my bedroom. Did, did, <laughs> did you hide the record in an Amy Grant sleeve? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, George, I, I have a question. There, there had to be other guys in Miami who, who were thinking about opening a, a teen club. What was the X factor of the magic? Or was it just nobody was doing this and you... you you found gold where nobody else was looking? I think the fact that, first of all, for the three years, it was our lifestyle. I mean, that's what we did. We, we spent all our time planning, working on it. We would take trips to get ideas. We'd come back, freshen them up, and then the club would change from one thing to another. Um, and actually, we were approached at a time with uh, some guys, actually the Casanova guys, where they wanted to open up a chain of teen discos. And although I, w- you know, I sat down in the conversation, this is what came about from there was the fact that we started pooling our resources for <laughs> purchasing acts. Uh, they wanted to open up like three nightclubs for teenagers, and I would oversee that, but I had to share my club. And my club was a successful one. I didn't know what the other ones would do. <laughs> so I said no, but we kept on talking about other stuff, and we wound up doing business for many years after that. But it wasn't along that line. Plus, you know, the idea when we, we knew we had the three years of the changing of the law, and my event, my plans eventually were to open up a liquor club. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. And everything that I learned about my craft, I pretty much learned at the B club. 
I mean, the stuff that I did there, I simply made it much bigger later on, and, and but it was a lot of the same stuff. We had the tier seating. That was something that was like bleachers because mm -hmm. we couldn't fit but so you, many but, people. But you remember why we did that. So the chaperones never paid cover. The chaperones were free. Yeah. But <laughs> you fill a club with chaperones, less kids are going to come to that. So we made we made carpeted bleachers that were hard as a rock, and you know you can't put recliners, so that you can't make it really comfortable for the chaperones. Right. So they would eventually, ah, oh, my kids safe here, and they wouldn't come back because they were so uncomfortable in those bleachers. The two genius. ends had these carpeted bleachers that were it was just wood and a thin carpeting on it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we did at the Parallel Bar and it wound up working also. So it's a Wait lot. A uh, where the, the Parallel That's Bar twice. <laughs> <laughs> but that the idea was that you could fit a lot of people in a small area yeah. and that worked out very yeah. well but as Jack is talking about us building that we were building the stage one of our first acts was uh, the Weather Girls they had a song uh, it's, <laughs> it's raining, raining men, men. Yeah. and as they're coming in for the sound check we're still finishing up the stage we're yeah, yeah. nailing the rafters and, and and covering it up and getting and ready we're not and sure it's going to hold up and well, <laughs> yeah, well she, yeah, she, yeah. they looked at it and they kind of got nervous these were uh, previously they they were the same act for Sylvester they were called two tons of fun they were two tons two, of fun two That's nice right. size uh, I'm glad ladies. they named themselves like and, and they jumped and they danced <laughs> and they said this thing better hold us and at the end they actually said it was a very <laughs> well-built stage and after that I built a bunch of stages I've always loved building stages their voices yeah. were insane yeah, those yeah, two yeah. women well their background as well as the background to a lot of the singers was gospel gospel music yeah that's yeah. that's where they got it from and a lot, a lot of these artists uh, you would wind up uh, talking to them and that that's where they got their start so so disco dies in 79 Casanova's uh, tagline was because I remember their commercials was Casanova action, disco satisfaction, and they kept that tagline well into the late '80s. <laughs> um, and so that they were proud of that. You know, they were like they they were holding on to it. And you get Gloria Gaynor to come down. Mm -hmm. Now Gloria Gaynor is basically disco. She she was she'd been around for a while, but but she's timeless as well. She's timeless. Yeah, she's saying uh, I will survive. I will survive. I mean, you can put her now and she'll yeah. sell out a class. And in fact, she does. She 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 yeah. still sells out. She's amazing. She's yeah. terrific. Uh, we had Shannon uh, let the music play, which yep. was actually attributed to be the first freestyle song. If mm -hmm. you look it up on Wikipedia, yeah, uh, you'll find that she's attributed to having the very first song of that style. Mm. Uh, we had a lot of artists that were crossing over but were rel very relevant relevant at the time yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, how, how what was the turnout for uh, are you telling me basically that every time you brought these groups uh, uh, like these like Gloria Gaynor was a pretty big act you would sell it out right we had to now the only thing we did was get the money at the door we had we would sell coke we sell pastelitos hot dogs you know but most of the of the money that came into the beat club was all door so we had yeah. to be able to sell them out we had to promote the club in a way that would do that or else that wouldn't happen. So how did that work out with the 21 and over crowd? That, that did they come as well to hear Gloria Gaynor? I mean, I can't imagine a lot no, of them wouldn't. A lot of them did. Some some <coughs> did, but when we had acts like that, they would come to our club, then they'd go to Casanova's and Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so we they were, had an opportunity we, we, to yeah, see so them. So they, they basically <laughs> what alcohol. we did was pick three clubs that would in no way interfere one with the other. Right, right. So right. that type those type of artists but we were doing that kind of sharing. 
Hmm. Yeah, and that and that worked out very and well. And I mean, you you wouldn't. It wasn't like a, a like a roller rink that had, you know, a teen night or something where you've got twelve and thirteen year old kids there. It was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. That's why I didn't go, Victor. I was yeah. thirteen. Yeah. Leave me alone. Yeah, you wouldn't get a lot of young kids. There. We were aiming. We were aiming our promotion. We were aiming the acts. We were aiming everything to attract that segment of the population. Um, most definitely, yeah. What was your model for, I mean, you just wake up one morning and say, I want to start a club, and then, I mean, you couldn't go Google it, how to open a club. What did you go on? I I was involved one way or another with promoting and concerts and uh, since I was 16 years old. <laughs> when I was 16 years old, I went, and we was during the open house period. Meaning music, they sponsored uh, yeah. our softball team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, wow. I would go to the Orlam Temple right next to Coral Park. And my dad would have to go with me because he had to sign the contract. I'm 16 years old. I'd rent the hall. I'd hire Heaven. I'd hire uh, another band. And we wound up charging $3 at the door, the 50 antiques, cents for Pepsi's, the Antiques, the antiques uh, Mantrap, whoever <laughs> was at the time. And we got our, I basically started doing it with then. As I was in college, I spent the entire four years DJing at nightclubs, major clubs, uh, Gambits, uh, sometimes the California club, different different places, but mostly I was the resident DJ at Gambits. So one way or the other, I always stayed in music. So it kind of seemed like a natural progression. But yeah, this is something that I pretty much always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was a young kid and I saw the movie Casablanca and I decided I wanted to be Rick. <laughs> so basically, I mean, I always, for, you know, for years after that, uh, would, would, um, would just basically, everything that I would do was in line with opening up clubs. It, it was something I enjoyed very much. It was my lifestyle at the time. Do you feel like you still have that eye? Like if you go to a club or, or you're just going to go out and see a show and you're able to look around and say, oh, they're doing this right, they're doing this wrong? I would drive my wife crazy. We'd go to clubs and all of a sudden I would start. She goes, you can't have a good time. Can you just shut it off? <laughs> I, I, no, no, I, what they did at the door, what they did over here, the security, they, they're missing on this. They're, they're, but those are things that you learn little by little. And you learn that by having the opportunity to work years. Mm. And, you know, if you, if you can handle a crowd of six, seven, eight, 800 kids, you can handle, you can handle a crowd of 2,000 adults. I mean, it's mm. just basically the same things that I mm. learned at the beat club I took on to future endeavors. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm laughing for a reason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> although you mentioned it twice, it wasn't us. Um, so... So you, so you're still a musician, though, right? You still, you play, you love music. You're, and and tell us about your son. Uh, Max is uh, Max is in South Carolina right now. He's actually studying music. Yeah. Ironically, at the time, I'd never picked up an instrument. I was always involved in the music business and concert promotion, record producing, in the nightclubs, but I never played an instrument. It wasn't until afterwards that I actually started playing an instrument. <laughs> so, you know, we started uh, a rock band that, uh, actually, an R&B band uh, that's been playing for about 20 years. And Max grew up in that environment, seeing that the, the, he just loved music. And uh, he told me a couple of years back that he wanted to pursue that as a career, as a study. So he's uh, right now at Anderson University uh, studying commercial music. What if he would have told you he wanted to open a teen club? (laughs) 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 
<laughs> it's a tough business. <laughs> but he could do it. But he could do it. I'll tell you the first time I went, I, I lived in Chicago for like 14 years when I moved back here. George was playing, I think the band was Cry Wolf. Mm-hmm. Or, so at whatever, Hans and Franz or whatever. What was the name? Fritz, Fritz and Franz. Fritz and Franz. <laughs> and the Gables. And uh, George tells me, so I go see him, and the, he brings up his son who has to be all of 14 years old or something. Not even, no, he was like eight. He was, yeah, 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 yeah. He was a. And he brought the house down. Yeah. The little kid at that age brought the house down. He was incredible. Oh, so, yeah. He's, a, he's an incredible show. He's showman. a talented, yeah. talented yeah. little guy. It's going to be a lot of fun to see where, where he goes. Yeah. 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 Well, um, so I wanted to ask you about Nuclear Valdez, because that's a band that kind of like I, I never heard of. Uh, but you guys, did did they get their start at... Uh, at uh, at the B Club, actually, Nuclear Valdez. Uh, they were a rock group. They were a rock. They were a rock alternative band, and uh, they didn't get their start at the B Club that I know of. But they did. Because they did get together at the B Club with the band that wound up being Nuclear Valdez. Mm. What would happen would be we'd have. As uh, I got a lot of ideas from uh, CBGB, and one of the things that they would do is they'd have three bands on one night. Well, you can't do that and have them set up their band equipment and strike the equipment and then too much time passes, people get bored and they leave. So we wound up having one of the bands or several of the bands put their gear together and all three bands would play in the same gear. Well, mm-hmm. one night, I don't remember exactly what it was, maybe a drummer didn't show up, or and the drummer from another band, Robert, wound up playing with them, and that wound up being their drummer. But that kind of thing wow. happened a lot. Erotic Exotic pretty much got together as two different bands. Um, Rudy Gill and Frank Lord, were, they both had their own bands. Yeah. And these guys would also rehearse at the beat club, because there was nowhere for them Frank was what, to go. forget the name? or I, I think that might have been. I'm not really yeah. sure which, uh, but a very and, talented and, guy. And Rudy Gill was perfect strength. Rudy Gill was perfect strangers. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, these guys would be there during the week writing songs at the club in my office. I'm like, you know, we got some business to conduct. You guys have to... (laughs) What are you doing? And and they're writing some of the songs that later on wound up being big hits. That's so Uh, funny because, like, I I, I keep going back to the location. It's it's so interesting because where the B Club was located... For people who think about Miami, who may be from out of town, you're, 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 everybody probably thinks Miami Beach. But Miami Beach back then was a senior citizens community. Yes. And it was just starting to turn around. That's correct. That was, and and you're, you're looking at this this music scene in the middle of the suburbs of, of Westchester, Miami, Dade I, County. I, I wouldn't have put it anywhere else. I went yeah. to school. Loyola was on in Westchester on yeah. Bird Road. Uh, Jack and I had a video store, Video Empire, on 114th and Bird. No kidding. I used yeah. to go to Video Empire. Okay, so there you go. You were allowed to go there. Didn't I was you? Like, well, my dad would take me. All right. Shut up, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for people that aren't familiar with Miami, uh, Westchester is not cool. Yeah. I think that might be the best way to say well, it. Well, listen, Pitbull. Pitbull is from yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We got, we got uh, Frankie's Pizza, Our Better Hot Dogs. Our Better Hot Dogs better is an institution. Oh. Bird Bowl. I, I could not bird open bowl, up. Bird Bowl, yeah, yeah. Right. I couldn't open up a business too far away from Our Better, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's that just strikes me as really interesting because it, it's it just it speaks to what Miami was back then, you know, in the '80s, and and how I, I keep keep going back to this idea of 
Uh, most of your uh, kids that went there were probably Hispanic, right? The yeah, majority of, of, them? of yes, I would say pretty much all of them. Probably all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hip hop. There was pro. There, there, there was again. There was African American. A lot of people from Liberty City were coming. Carroll City, Homestead. Yeah. Those guys were traveling far because they just weren't getting what they wanted to get in their then you know anywhere but there. So yeah. people would travel to go. So I had no, you know, I, I, I never thought of putting a club anywhere else. The club was designed in a really interesting way. We had pretty much 60% of the nightclub was dance floor. So it was really all about the music and all about dancing. Yeah, the people appreciate that, huh? You couldn't sell alcohol. So we couldn't sell alcohol. You didn't need a bar. We, yeah. yeah, so we had a little concession stand, but yeah, yeah it was a, it was all about the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the music was like, uh, so I remember growing up back then, and and the, even even though I, I maintained that the Cuban and American parking lot was really a music thing because we were kids. Um, there was a sense that we were different. There was mm -hmm. a sense that there was that we we uh, growing up at that time period. I was definitely, uh, uh, you know, when I was home or I was with people like me. I was like, okay, I'm from here. But the, you know, I have uh, Matt, who's not here tonight. I'm going to speak for him. Uh, but he 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 can't stand when I say uh, when I refer to white Anglo's as uh, the Americans because I was born here sure so was I yeah so we say but we say it for a reason because mm -hmm. we we were definitely different we identify yeah we identify yeah. yeah and we were and and there was there was a it was there was definitely a a, a a line even though all my you know a lot of my neighbors were still old families the old white families from Miami we 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 kind of kept to ourselves. We did, we did, and uh, they weren't coming to the club. So this was mostly a lot of Latin people. Uh, Miami Dade had what they call the Cuban Corner. I mean, they, 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 it wasn't just it was everywhere in Miami at the time. It was kind of a yeah. You know, um, I think it has a lot to do with you know the circumstances of how you know. We as, as Cubans, although there's a lot, of, yeah. when you talk about Hispanics, you talk about a lot of different groups. But at, for a certain time period, it was mostly Cuban. And, uh, you know, a lot of people thought they were going back. Uh, yeah. A lot of people mm -hmm. weren't putting roots. And then they were just kind of all hanging out together. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. most of those, many of those are now all over the country. And they're all, you know, uh, doing different things. But, uh, yeah. Kind of a lot. A lot of people kind of kept in in their in their groups and their cliques, and we just had to find out where those cliques were and make sure that they got a flyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to be and and to be fair to our our uh, you know uh, American uh, <laughs> brothers, uh, it, it, that the, the Mario Boatlift was in night in '79. So that was a 80. huge 80. 80. So a hu yeah, 79 was disco. 80 was Mario. Um, they were waiting until disco was dead. Yeah, <laughs> they were waiting until. Okay, is it over? Can, can you blame going. them? <laughs> and you had all these these Cubans coming over. It had to be you know an incredible culture shock for them, and you know just to have all these people come in. So it, it's it's understandable. But and I think you were part of, and probably the kids at the beat club are part of. You know what people at the table would call third culture. Where they're not necessarily going to be listening to anything the music their parents listen to, right? And you know every generation does that, right? But just so drastically different. Like your your parents, Marcos, didn't listen to anything like the bands you were listening to in the '80s. Yeah. 
So these kids were like finding this new culture that they're kind of creating but in the moment. that's actually reversed now because kids of today are listening to stuff that we listen to. Yeah. The kids of today are, uh, my, I mean, listen my to stepdaughter and stepson, they listen to songs from the 80s and, you know. Yep. Well, I, I listen to the music 70s. right, I mean, listen to music right now and you'll, you'll see why they're, they're listening to music from back then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but actually, if you look uh, five to ten years before that in the 70s, you wound, that was, the, it was actually different. When we had the open houses, the bands were actually playing three or four if it was disco, if it was rock, and then they'd play a Cuban ballad. Hmm. And, I mean, everybody rushed to the floor to yeah. dance with that. Yeah. So everybody tried to hold on to their culture as long and as they could. it was the same Cuban ballad. It was Mia, Sabor a Mi, and Nosotros. <laughs> no, Caballo Viejo, which was uh, not Cuban yeah, but ballad, they, but they, that was yeah. a, that, that, when that came on, everybody went <laughs> out on the dance so, floor. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious, where did the Americans go? The roller rink. <laughs> they went to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Plus yeah. Pen. <laughs> oh, you mean like like here? The, I'm sorry. Here, like instead of the yeah club. here they they no they had their well there was a club I was going to mention it earlier there was a club that uh, some of my friends would go to called the Harry Eyeball. Did you ever hear about this place? It no. was like a I don't know if it was a pop up type of thing that would cut they would they would rent a warehouse or something <laughs> and they would play that's where Manson played back then yeah and it was in Miami and uh, and there was some other and, and other local bands there was some good local bands when I was in high school that yeah. that were pr- really amazing and then then where'd you go to high school Southwest Miami High yeah yeah so it was um, and I was in that was what eighty six to 80, 80, 85 to eighty eight so it was um you know it, it there was there was a, a really interesting music scene here and I think it was just that mix of cultures like nuclear valdez they're all hispanic right yes and you know you well, have the, this this well, yeah robert is too. yeah robert, robert is, is too. Yeah. then you have malo who becomes a the, you know the, the mavericks he's you know country a, a top country star you know it's it's mm-hmm. and he's cuban i mean it's it's so you have this the you see the influence of the cuban culture but also the influence the other way like 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 victor was saying where the you you gravitate towards uh towards something different there there's a movie called summer of sam uh spike mm-hmm. lee movie and i not a very memorable film but adrian brody is in it and i loved his character cuz he's a young italian uh american and he he's he wears the the union jack shirt with the sle- sleeveless and he talks with an english accent and and he because he's enamored with the who because back in the 70s and he's enamored with with punk culture that's that was coming out and but he's an italian american you know hmm. and and I, that when i saw that i identified with that because a lot of these a lot of the, you're talking about new wave night uh, on sunday that was um <clears throat> you know that was the craft uh, work uh, influence coming in that was a lot of the mtv stuff that we were being exposed to correct uh that that was coming from europe that we had never heard before and and it seemed so interesting and so refined because it was it was it was electronic but it was well done and it was well produced and it was it just had this this sound that you you as a young person you gravitated towards there was a lot of great music coming out at the time and you're right when you're starting to say that disco died in 79 then something else had to come out and mm-hmm. when usually when music shifts is when you have a lot of people trying to come up with the next thing yeah and uh, we were coming up with the next three things that was actually coming out at the time yep yeah yep. well 
Thank you for the beat club, George. I, the bread, even though I never got to go, I I, I remember I remember it well from uh, by osmosis from all my friends who went, and, uh, <laughs> and it was. Uh, but thanks. For, it, it really made an impact, I, I think, on Miami culture. I really didn't think about it until I read the New Times article, um, and what they uh, how th that you know bringing Run DMC down at the time was was I that was like pioneer in Miami you know that was pioneer stuff sure. in Miami so uh, yeah really appreciate yeah. your creativity the, and uh, that article that came out actually was written by Alberto de la Portilla mm -hmm. um, and he did a great job I mean he really captured the essence of what was happening in the club yeah. so that was kind of like one of the things that you know between that and then of course having the uh, the reunion that happened a couple of weeks ago and you and I have been speaking about doing this for a while and I gotta tell you I really love this podcast I have this as number one oh, uh, on my list it's you know everything you guys do is, is, is well done you guys are constantly talking about the Miami scene and when I was a big promoter of Miami so I've always loved that and you guys show it in a real good light it's a very well done so thank you very much for thank you George uh, for having very kind here. words yeah. thank you yeah. so much thanks all right. Well, thanks for listening in to uh, to the podcast. We have us. We're going to be putting together a Spotify list of songs uh, from the period, uh, specifically uh, any artists that played at the B Club at the time. So we'll put that out there, so you and put the link on our uh, website and uh, social media. So Great. thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. <coughs>